America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to XYZ, the podcast for anybody interested in CNC and machining, that that kind of stuff. Hosted by myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, and my esteemed colleague. The show would be nothing without him. It's Aaron Goff. How are you, Aaron? Going good, mate. How about you? Um, good. Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> I haven't done much work this week, which is probably why I'm feeling so good. <laughs> Slack bastard. What have you been up to? No, 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 not Slack. I've been I've been super super busy with sort of house stuff and mm. admin stuff, and we we had to go to the city yesterday to have our interview to allow us to stay in the country. Our oh. sort of res- residency interview, right? Um. So yeah, there's there's been a little bit of worry over that. The you know the last sort of few well, months, I suppose. Um. But that went really well, and you know they do the whole take the fingerprints and everything. Is they they treat you like a criminal basically. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. So you just bought a house and like you own the place that you currently live in, right? Too, right? Yes. Well, we own, yeah, we own. And you're two. not even like a permanent resident, resident no. in France. Our babies were born here and they're right. not residents even. That's funny. Yeah. So you're brave, eight- buddy. You're brave. I wouldn't have done that. When they're 18, they can then um, apply for um, to be a French citizen. Um, but right. just because they were born here doesn't mean they are. Because as, as with British parents, um, our, our babies are British. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. So yeah. So we still have to apply to if we're successful this time, which I'm sure we will be. There's no reason why we wouldn't be. Um, we still need to apply every five years to stay in the country, mm. which is bonkers. <sighs> <laughs> yes, I've been through all that myself. Like permanent residency in Canada is is better. Um, mm. All you need to do is uh, reapply for your card yeah like you automatically have permanent residency forever but you have oh, to get okay. a new card every five years that's it right okay that's not that's not too bad that's no, not too bad. Not bad but um you know especially here where i live in the in the dordogne which we're sort of smack bang in the middle of france like the furthest mm-hmm. away from a beach you could possibly be um <laughs> there are so many um brits and dutch um yeah, Germans. That you know, there's so many people here, and if it weren't for these people living in these in areas like this, because we're pretty rural and remote, the mm-hmm. you know the towns would that they just collapse because you know there's not enough French people here to support the businesses, that kind of thing. Right. So yeah, it's a, it's a really weird one. But um, aside from that, um, <laughs> I've become a sort of accidental sign writer for the village. <laughs> because of this this shitty little CNC, <laughs> I made. I mean, when I first had it, I made a few signs or practice in doing things, and um, right. a few people have seen them. They're like, "Oh, would you mind just making me a sign saying this? Would you mind just making me just a little sign, just just for this?" And um, you know, they're all sort of favors for people, I suppose. Mm. But uh, yeah, accidental sign writer. I think that needs to go on the CV, maybe on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Is the little machine still working well? Perfectly well. I'm I'm over the moon with it, and I've been hmm. cutting G10 with it this week too, um, with just standard bits. Uh, well, I call them bits. That's that's how little I know. End mills. Um, end mills. Cutting tools um, uh, right. that it came with, you know. And right. I'm just really, really impressed. It's it's just doing the job. You know, hmm. it's nothing. It's nothing special. It's not. I take things very, very slowly with it. Um, but, you know, like we've said before, it allows me to do something else while that's happening. So it doesn't particularly need to be quick. Right. Um, I'm just really, really pleased with it. it it's now got a an official place in the workshop, whereas before it was sort of plonked on my bench. Um, play with it till it breaks, then that's what generally happens with the cheaper tools. But this one now, I've, right. I've welded up a little cart for it. It's got its own space, and it's it's a permanent addition. Right. So for those newer to the show, Craig Border, it's a 30-40, right? 
It's it is yes yes yeah. a so it's a Chinese made thirty forty CNC router you know with a it's a it's a shitty little CNC as we call it yes we call it the shitty little CNC but you've also bought a Onefinity machinist yes, machinist CNC and, uh, router where will, where is that that won't be coming for I think it's probably another four weeks left oh wow I think it was eight or maybe twelve weeks order in time when I ordered it um, it's funny think... I'm I'm like oh that's so slow but like. People that have ordered my knives previously have waited like twelve months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, that's on its way. Um, but in the meantime, this thing has done a cracking job, and I can imagine I'll still use it sort of side by side with it. Right. Um, a good reason for that is it's got a a really small um, spindle, so the collet is really small, so you can use very thin end mills. Um, so, for example, with the folding knives that I got, the, the alpha in that I can get, which is the uh, synthetic ivory for the handles, mm -hmm. it comes in very small strips. Um, so if I were to use a like a quarter-inch end mill, there'd be, be so much wastage. Uh, I, I wouldn't get much right. out of the strip. So, yeah, because but these are the, three mil thick. At, the Onefinity machine, what, is, what does that come with for a spindle? Um, I think it's a quarter-inch, um, and I'm oh, not sure... Is I'm it sure a, a router? That's it is. A, yeah, a so it's, a, it's, a, it's the Makita or Duat Walter that you put in, router that you put in. So you can get um, two two things. You can get replacement collets yes. for the, yeah. the DeWalt routers. And usually they come, and the Makita ones too, and they you can get like one-eighth collets. Yeah. So three mil. And then you can get reducers as well, like little sleeves that go inside the collet that have a smaller inner diameter. So you can use a smaller end mill if you need to. Oh right, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this shitty little CNC does does that job, and I've been cutting the alpha room with it as well. And um, hmm. because it's only three mil that I'm cutting, because these are just you know outer scales for a folding knife. So there's the right. that sort of the inner scale, if you like, which which is the rigidity. This is just the the decal, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and it cuts very very well, very very little wastage, and I'm really happy with it. Oh, did I tell you I, I bought one of those really really shitty again? There's a, there's a theme here, um, um, like handheld pendants, you know, that you can control it. With. Yes, you did. Has that been working out? Very well, very well. Yes. So Craig's talking about like a, a handheld controller for the CNC with a little jog wheel and everything, yeah. and yeah, like, uh, is the jog wheel been tr as transformative for you as I thought it would be? Yes, really well. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just it just speeds things up and it's cool to play with too. It is. Um, yeah. um, one thing that I'm not using with this, um, and any sort of machinists out there, they're going to go what? Because obviously the accuracy isn't. <laughs> it won't be the best. I'm not using the uh, the Z probe um, to take to zero mm. off um, simply because I find it quicker. Just to because I'm cutting all the way through this material. You just you know, like put I'm, it on the top of the material. Cookie cutter in it, yeah. So I'll turn the spindle yeah. on. I'll bring it down to like in here. It's sort of just touching. That's my zero, and I'm away. Um, That's fine. Yeah, and it and it works really fine. So yeah, I'm really pleased, and um, yeah, I don't regret the purchase at all. And it was extremely cheap, so yeah, <laughs> it's all good. One one good thing to do with CNC routers with the the spindle touch off is actually to touch off on your spoil board. And to do all of your models with the bottom as the zero, because then you can cut through exactly to the spoil board. Um, ah, I see. I right, see. and yes, and leave yeah. tabs of a very precise thickness at the bottom. Um, that makes sense. You know, yeah, yeah, because well, that way you can this... leave tabs like tiny little tabs, you know, twenty thousandths of an inch that are just like break by hand, uh, as opposed yeah. to having to cut them out. I've been doing all of this, cutting right through without tabs too. Um, so oh, and the parts I'm, are just like popping out. Yeah, well, I'm using tape. I'm using um, oh, okay. tape on the spoil board, tape on the material, and then I'm using like a a, a neoprene gel um, to to basically glue the tapes together. Neoprene gel. What the hell is neoprene that? gel, and it's like a contact adhesive. So immediately oh. as you put it down, it's rock solid. It's not going anywhere. So as soon as I press okay. it down, I can start machine. It's just super fast. So you're putting a layer of masking tape on the bottom of your material. Material. A layer of masking tape on your spoil board, and then yep. taping the masking tape. To, oh, sorry, gluing the masking tape together with the contact cement. Exactly. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. I've seen that done with super glue, but I've never heard of it being done with um, contact cement. Yeah, it's just super fast and. Um, you know everything holds that 
cutting without any tabs. And what <laughs> I'm with these fold these I mean they're very small folders, so the um the actual scales are pretty small as well. Um, right. so that they're not flipping out. It's yeah, it it's 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 working like a charm. Working nice. like a charm. Well, you can, I mean, you can't ask for better than that. No, exactly, exactly. Um, with with regards to other shitty machines that I have, um, <laughs> my laser is 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 broken. It still is broken, rather. Um, oh. We talked about power supplies and finding um, more local power supplies rather yeah. than finding them in China. And I sent you a link to the the, the, the power supply as well. And I, I couldn't find it, and you couldn't find any. They seem to be pretty specific for fiber lasers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it turns out that the, the power supply in that machine, like... So it has four rails, plus and minus 15 volts, 12 mm. volts, and 24 volts. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just a very unusual power supply. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you could, as I said to you, you could replace it with multiple power supplies, small ones. E yes. Um, and have some sort of Frankenstein machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, I mean, I've spoken to the, the manufacturer in China, and, and they were actually sending one um, via... Via via a plane, um, as opposed Ooh. to sort of um, shipping via via a ship, yeah. Right. Um, and I should be getting it within three or four days now. And literally oh, nice. just just within the hour, I've actually had a a message from FedEx telling me that I need to pay them before they before they'll send it to me. But uh, why um, why do you have to pay it? It's a replacement part, zero zero cost. Yeah, I'm not paying for the part. I'm paying for the um for the shipping. tax. No, that's what I mean. What but, sales tax? But you didn't pay anything for the for the part. Why is there sales tax? I know, tax? I know, but it's still something with a value coming into the country, which which has duty on it. So. Oh, that's stupid. There's supply. Whenever I have to, like, you know, thankfully, rarely, if I have to send a, a replacement for something, I always mark it as zero value warranty. Ah, right. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm finding I get a lot at the moment. So, um, little things like. Knife Talk, which is the other podcast that, that I do, um, we, we quite often get sort of gifts from sort of sponsors, that kind of thing, or they'll, mm -hmm. you know, they'll have a new machine and they'll say, well, you know, can we send you one and you talk about that kind of thing, um, which is fine, which is great. I'm all up for that. Uh, but they generally <laughs> come from the US. So the other two sponsors, right. the other two hosts, uh, Jeff and Morocco, they love it because they, we're getting free shit. I get free shit, but then I get a huge bill afterwards. Right. <laughs> it's like, ah, right. Um, and we've had a few occasions where um, even listeners have sent me like little gifts. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't ask for them. I, you know, most of the time I don't particularly want them because, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> but they also come with a, with a bill. So it's like sending yes. a stranger a bill. And it's like, oh. Lovely. Yes, I've had that before too. I mean, I, I stay away from that kind of stuff mostly. But mm -hmm. I had um, one of my suppliers... Uh, knife kits they sent me I, apparently i've sent them a lot of business and i didn't even realize i was doing it with one of my i have like a how to make a kydex sheath video on youtube oh, okay and yeah. i link a, to a whole bunch of their stuff and they were like oh you've been sending us a lot of customers i was like oh, oh wow. okay. so they sent me some um material that they were trying out it's like a an alternative to kydex and yeah mm -hmm. as you said I, I they sent it to me for free and then i got like a 120 dollar bill from fedex yeah. and i was like oh I didn't ask for this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't used any of it. That's the funny thing. It's all in colors I'll never use. Uh, so I paid, you know, 120 bucks for something I'll never use, which is maybe I should do a giveaway or something. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So oh, what's been well. going on with you this week? I actually started work on a folding knife as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and that drove me to, you know, I, I did a couple of um, little 3D printed kind of, how does it feel in the hand? prototypes yeah and then you know because it's it's quite small the the parts coming off my resin oh sorry off my filament printer look very crude you know and i had to like drill out the holes before i could fit pins in and all that kind of i stuff. can see where this is going yeah okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. so you know my girlfriend she was machine laughing at me yeah exactly <laughs> so i was like well maybe i should be looking at a resin printer and my girlfriend was like of course you need a new thing you know <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like, the last time I looked at resin printers was a couple of years ago, and they were really slow and really expensive and really stinky, and the materials were all kind of shit, mm. you know. And a lot of that has changed. Um, so, the other use that I would have for a really accurate 3D printer is to potentially um, 3D print my sheaths for my yes. um, yeah. Resolute knives. And... You know, I've always thought of resin printers as being very slow. Um, but the interesting thing is that 
most of the inexpensive printers now use an LCD screen as they basically what they do is they use it as a mask. So they have a UV light underneath and then they have an LCD screen and the LCD screen can either be dark or transparent. Mm. And um, basically they shine the UV light through the transparent sections of the screen and that cures the resin at the oh. bottom of the, the vat, right? To produce like one layer. Basically. Yeah, you're kind of screen printing thousands of layers, you know, to make your 3D object. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about that is it doesn't matter how many, how, like how full your layer is. Each layer takes the same amount of time, regardless of how many things are in that layer. Hmm. Yeah. So just to print one part, the resin printer is way slower than um, a filament printer. You know, for me to print a sheath on my filament printer is like three hours. And to print one sheath on the resin printer would be like nine hours. Right. Yeah. But if I fill the build platform, then I can print four or five sheaths in the in, same time. In the same time. Yeah. Yes. And all of a sudden it's much faster. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that um, previously. And the interesting thing is, too, that that's not an advantage that applies to expensive resin printers. Because expensive resin printers use a scanning laser, kind of like your laser engraver, hmm. how it moves the laser point around in two axes, you know? So that means the more stuff you have on a, on a layer, the more time it takes to scan that layer. So the expensive... Three uh, resin 3D printers, and they, you know they're like five grand US, seven grand US. Like they're not they're not cheap. They're they don't have that same advantage of being like a fixed time per layer, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's been it's been a fun fun journey looking at all the different resins and nerding out about different printers and stuff. It's always fun so, to buy new things. So have you bought one? Not yet, not yet. I'm Do looking you have at a particular model in mind. Yeah, there's two that I'm considering. The Elegoo Mars 2, um, which is a funny name, but but that's like <laughs> 250 US dollars wow. for a printer. Yeah, I mentioned him, I think maybe for the last two or three episodes, mm-hmm. um, but Bob at um, I Like to Make Stuff, which is a okay. YouTube channel and stuff, um, he's a huge fan of these. Um, and right. he, he does a podcast with Jimmy DeResta and Dave Picciuto, and it's called um, Making It. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about this exact printer um, to the point where um, both Dave and um, Jimmy, the co-hosts, they ordered one online as he was talking about it. They were like, well, if right. it's that cheap, I'm going to buy one now. You know, he's a huge, right. and I, I, he's got a couple of them, I know, as well. But um, yeah, huge fan of them. Yeah, and so the Mars 2, like the original one has, so basically what they were doing previously for the LCD screen that they're using as like the, the mask in the bottom of the printer Previously, they were just using, like, uh, screens out of, like, tablets, cheap tablets or cheap iPhones or whatever. So it was actually a color screen. But you don't want color because you just want black or white. Yeah, it's either shade Um, or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was happening with the older screens is that only the blue pixels, which is one third of the screen, were allowing the UV light through. And that was, like, it meant that it took, like, eight seconds to cure a layer. But the newer printers, like the Mars 2 and um, some of the frozen printers and stuff, they actually have monochrome screens, so they're just black and white. Mm. And that lets a lot more light through. So now the the printers are significantly faster. It's like two seconds a layer rather than eight. Wow. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, as I said, it's just been super interesting. And the, the level of detail that these things can do is, is nutty. Like the that $250 printer can print... Um, features down to 50 microns wow in wow. in x and y and 10 microns in z like that's so is, the, is this tiny. really required for a, a basic model of a folding knife which you may not open into production anyway <laughs> <laughs> um well i'm definitely going to put something in pr- into production whether it'll be this exact one or okay not. The, but the interesting thing about using like a really high resolution printer for that is that you can print things like threads Right, yes. I can print mm. like a handle with threads in it, and then take like actual hardware, you know, like metal bolts and stuff, and thread them right into the handle and assemble, uh, you know, a fully working object, you know, a mm. fully working print. Um, and that that really tiny resolution means that like things like holes and stuff are way more likely to come out the size that you expect them to. So, you know, whereas with a filament printer, like as you know, it, it's really like it's a very close approximation, but it's not yeah. 
you know, not the same. You, ca you know, reproducing things like textures um, and even like little cutouts and stuff can be pretty dicey. Whereas on a resin printer, it's just, you know, it's, it's going to come out. With resins, can you get things like flexible yeah. fil filaments? You, you still can too, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So it used to be that there was like the resins were pretty shitty. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they looked good, but they were very brittle um, and, you know, relatively few selections. And they were very expensive too, you know, 100 bucks a liter or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but now you can get like the standard types of resin that are, you know, fairly durable, fairly, you know, different colors and that kind of stuff for like 25 bucks a liter or 25 bucks yeah. a kilogram. I know Amazon do their own brand, don't they? Um, uh, I haven't seen the Amazon one. Yes. I, look yeah, I, was, I was looking the other day at it, just, you know, normal filaments and I come across mm. the resins as well and Amazon have got their AMS brand, they call it an AMZ brand. Okay, of course. Yeah, and you know, and, but then they also have like resins that are designed to simulate ABS. So, you know, a more durable kind of functional plastic. And then you can get flexibles, you can get, um, you know, clear ones. Um, and then one of the interesting things is that you can actually mix the different types of resins together too. So if you want, you know, you want something flexible, but not quite as flexible as the like flexible resin that you bought, you can mix a little bit of the standard resin in there to get 50-50 oh, wow. properties, you know, um, or mix your own colorants, like you just buy clear resins and then mix your own colorants and dyes into it nice, um, to get yeah. whatever color you want. Or glow in the dark powder, or you know, it's it's really interesting all of the different stuff you could do with it. Yeah, Pro proper sort of recipes. You can yeah yeah you can cook up your own batches. Lovely. So uh, and so you're talking yeah. you know two fifty US dollars for the the, the Elegoo, um, yeah Mars two. I'll make sure we put um, links in the show notes for all these. Oh, as well. we should make them affiliate links. <laughs> oh, yes. The extra work that goes into that is like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, fine. I'll do it. I'll take the affiliate money. You, you go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's crazy how inexpensive they are. It's, mm. it's, it really is. Like, you know, I, so I haven't, I haven't got one of those yet, so I can't vouch for it. You know, that's the only reason I wouldn't put an affiliate link on it is, is I'm not vouching for it yet. You know. Yeah. But. Yeah. Lots of people have have these printers and speak really highly of them. So, so what's the process? So it'll build up the layers. Um, yeah. You're then left with with an object. Is that ready to go, or does that need sort of um, post processing in any sort of way? It does need post processing. Yeah. yeah. So after it comes out of the the printer, it's um, squishy and covered in goo, and you know, like so. Basically, some of the resin will adhere to the outside of of the print because it's you know basically been sur submerged in this like you know, gooey liquid yeah. so you can drain as much of it off as you can but then you have to wash it um so the traditional washing fluid is isopropyl alcohol you basically like submerge the whole thing in there and whisk it around and get all the excess resin off um some people have been using like the mr clean cleaning solution as a cheaper um and apparently in some ways better alternative um but an ultrasonic cleaner is the ideal you know you chuck it in an ultrasonic cleaner full of like the mr clean stuff and then leave it for a couple of minutes and come back and you've got a nice clean pot and then it needs to be finished cured um because so the uv is like sorry the, the the resin is uv cured um and when it comes out of the printer it's like partially cured like 50 percent cured um, so then you just need to expose it to UV light for, you know, 10 minutes to finish cure it. Right. Okay. Um, and you can do that honestly, just by leaving it in the sun. Um, but that's pretty variable and it'll probably get one side more than the rest and so on. So they have these little like, you know, spinning turntable UV light deals that you can put your pot yeah. in. Okay. And what sort of cost are you looking at then for... I mean, you're talking 250 of the printer. Mm -hmm. um, what are the, these extras then? It's pretty funny, actually. Like, the, you know, the little washing station with the UV lights, like, you know, 160 as well. And then you've got the resins. So, like, my Amazon cart has the Mars 2 printer, a little washing station, and, like, two bottles of resin. And it's, like, 600 bucks Canadian, <laughs> you know. So, that'd be, like... <laughs> they got you. Yeah, seriously. You know, that's, like, 500-ish US. Um so, yeah, there's definitely extra stuff that you need, but if you were setting up a little print farm, you probably only need one of 
the washing station, one of the curing stations, and then you could just add printers. Yeah. Okay, so, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's it seems like a really for prototyping, especially where you need you want like really accurate parts. Um, it seems like a pretty good deal, but we'll see. We'll see. If we go back to you prototyping your folding knife mm-hmm. and you were saying, um, you know, with holes, you'd have, maybe have to drill them out with a regular sort of filament printer and so on. Yeah. That is pretty much what I did when I was prototyping my folding knife. Pretty much right. exactly the same. I've got a bit of a question there. Mm-hmm. So l- let's say you've designed your um, your model, your, your STL file, um, which then goes through uh, Cura Slicer or Prusa Slicer, whatever you're using. The the infill that you decide, so that will give you a almost like a waffle-like structure inside. Yeah. So I mean, for anybody out there who hasn't done any any three D printing, it's 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 unusual to have a you know a solid plastic object. You normally have some sort of shell inside, which which is structurally sound and that kind of thing. Yeah. If you in the actual design of it, so before it's sliced, so in your design software, let's mm-hmm. say you had solid pieces where you knew you're going to drill out. Or, or sort of collars maybe around the holes that you were doing, so you could you could yeah. you could ream them afterwards, that kind of thing. When it comes to them being sliced, would they take that into account, or does it look at the final shape and then simply just slice that up? It doesn't know what's going on the inside. Do you know what I mean? Uh, kind of. Um, I mean, so like I I you know have holes in the design where I'm going to drill holes, yeah, and the holes are. In the design, they're like the actual size that I would want them to be. And yes. then usually they'll print so that the holes are a little tight. And then I just drill the holes out to the final, final size. Yeah. Um, and so when it goes through the slicer, it knows that the holes are there and it'll put a couple of perimeters, like solid, solid circles around the around hole. Around that hole, yes. Yeah. yeah, so there's always enough material there to drill, to drill out. Yeah, um, I, I I get that, but what I'm wondering is if if in the design stage you wanted maybe a certain area to be, uh, if we if we forget about the holes for now, just you know, mm-hmm. if you wanted it you to wanted. be solid and then to drill through, exactly, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Would this would the slicer take? Yeah, the there's not really a way to shape. Hmm. Right. So sorry, go on. Sorry. So I think it, in Prusa Slicer you can um, set rules. Uh, to like an area of the print so you can um, make like a little cylinder in in the the slicer and move that around inside your object and then say within this cylinder i want it, everything to be 100 percent solid okay okay so you, you can have sort of yeah. zones for your infill and and okay but but it wouldn't take yeah. that into account from the initial design file no 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 like wow, okay. the yeah there's not really that level of communication between your CAD software and the slicer. You would have to um, set that up manually in the slicer. So it almost sees your final sort of render, the sort of external dimensions and the external shape, then just slice yeah. that up as it sees fit. Okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just something I was wondering. It's not really important for anything. I was just wondering how it works. No, that's a good question. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's... Part of the attraction with a resin printer too is just that like printing really small parts is much easier, you know. So with a folding knife in particular, you know, so I'm trying to mess around with like a button locking mechanism or like a bolt action lock, which are both kind of, you know, quite small, intricate parts. There's going to be lots of bits that are smaller than, you know, three millimeters. Um, And so on a filament printer, you know, as you know, like printing stuff that small is just not the greatest experience whereas on a yeah. resin printer it's it's no problem at all interesting yeah two hundred fifty dollars so, you say seriously <laughs> yeah and I, then I don't have i don't have the workshop space for anything else <laughs> oh it's but they're pretty small they're pretty small uh, put it in the uh, baby's yeah, room the, then a cure yeah <laughs> yeah just sell one of them we got two sell one <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> Yeah, one of the other interesting things is too, like they're starting to come out with, um, you know, because like I said, they're, they're using like an LCD screen as the mask, right? So they're starting to come out with um, models that have 4K LCD screens, but it's 4K resolution on like a six inch screen, you know, wow. like the the pixel density is is crazy. And the smaller those pixels are, the smaller the spots of resin that you can cure. Yeah, so, and the more sort of... 
detailed. Sharper. Yeah, those sharper, yeah. that masking would be, I suppose. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, like, those 4K ones, so there's one, another one I'm looking at called the Frozen Sonic Mini 4K. They have amazing names, these printers. Yeah. Um, but that one can do details down to 35 microns in X and Y. So, at that level, you can start to, like, reproduce... You know, I think you could probably do this with the, the Elegoo Mars as well. Like, you can reproduce textures on the surfaces of your models, which is something you really can't do with, like, a filament printer. Mm. Um, you know, so, like, with um, Kydex, the plastic that we use for our sheaths, you know, that has that kind of leathery, wrinkled surface. Yeah, sort of stippled, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it looks great. It hides wear and stuff. You could totally reproduce that kind of a surface with a resin printer, whereas wow. with a filament printer... You know, not really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm really curious whether I'll be able to find a resin that will let me print functional parts. Because mm. um, if I could, then, like, printing sheaths that way would be really nice. Yeah, wow. But, I mean, this just goes to show, doesn't it? You said you looked a few years ago and you're talking, you were talking sort of five, six grand US, and now, you know, 250 um, yeah. It's just, it's, well, it's there just were cheaper crazy. resin printers a couple of years ago, but they were shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like they weren't they weren't great. Whereas now, like, you know, how many different types of printer do you want? Right? There's tons. So Yeah, sorry what you're saying, just that it's it's crazy how it's advanced. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that boils down to everything. I've been looking at um <laughs> I shouldn't be Looking at guitars again this week. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I can have more rooms in this new house, and I need more guitars to put in. My, my dad is like this too. Every, every time I talk guitar. to him, you never yeah. know when inspiration will strike. That's uh-huh. <laughs> so, so I've been looking, and um, I just want to get something like for the bar area. I just want, want to get something cheap that you know, because everybody's going to pick it up and play it and all that kind of thing. So I just want something cheap. And I was looking. And I remember like cheap guitars used to be cheap you know mm-hmm. it, in the very word of cheap they, they'd be awful to play they'd be really high action on them and they'd be terrible but now you can get like amazing guitars super super cheap you know and it's yep. it's, it's just crazy how the manufacture of everything is, is come to be so much cheaper um but what i have found this this is going off on a complete and utter tangent now is <laughs> software the more I'm getting into sort of machining and sort of more sort of, I suppose, specialized stuff, mm-hmm. I'm finding software prices are crazy. You know, we're used yeah. to, you know, we're, we're, we're used to, you know, the 69 pence app, you know, on your phone. That yeah. Kind of thing, you know, yeah. I mean, and things changed back when that, you know, the iPhone was introduced and people were getting, you know, software for pennies and, you know, it was all a numbers game. You know, if you get 5 million people to download it and it's a penny, you it's a lot of money. Um, but when it comes to specialist stuff, it obviously doesn't work that way. That economies of scale doesn't doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So there's been lots of software that I've wanted to try and use. And um, I found that the murky underworld of knockoff software, and I'm not going to say where it is. I'm sure people know where they can get stuff. Um, but this is almost, it seems to me, like a legit site because it's where I go to buy hardware for stuff mm. straight from china i think we all know exactly what i'm talking about um but there's they do software too which is obviously knocked off it's not right. you know the legit software but the fact that you can just put it into your cart and pay with your card at the end and you get a little email saying you know your order's <laughs> arrived it just makes it feel so legit and i'm like right. completely torn so i have bought i have bought one piece of software this way and it works like perfectly it, it's it's the proper software but yeah, I just feel a bit dirty every time I open it, and I was just wondering what yeah. your thoughts were on the murky world of knockoff software. It's kind of funny, actually. Like, I guess I'm a bit weird on this one. Maybe uh, I would rather see someone like completely steal software and not pay anything for it <laughs> than to pay a third party that's yes, profiting I off other people's work. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. So like. I, you know, as as you might know, I used to be um, software developer, software engineer, yeah. quote unquote, full time. And one of, the, um, you know, so they have an IT department at the big company I worked at. And one of their primary concerns, um, you know, one of the reasons that they locked down people's computers was because they were worried about people installing pirated software, because a lot of pirated software comes with backdoors built into it. 
Yes. You know, yeah. so like a hole that will allow, you know, the person that cracked that software to get into your computer and you know, do whatever they want with it. Right? Yeah. And I'm um, sure we've all done that sort of, you know, 10, 15 years ago, downloading cracks to software and you would get this really sort mm-hmm. of key gen um, Windows file and it would play some really bad MIDI music and it's it's cracking <laughs> the software for you and it's like, what the hell else is this thing doing? Yeah. Yeah. And like doing that's actually pretty safe because that way you're, you're like generating a false key for otherwise legitimate software. But yeah, when you're like yeah. downloading fully pirated software, you have no way of knowing what's in there. You know, and like when you buy software from like Autodesk or Adobe, like you're you're banking on their reputation that there's no jodgy stuff in there, right? But yeah, I mean that's the that's the one thing that like you know I think is like genuinely dangerous about getting dodgy yeah. software. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I feel scalded now. Okay. Yes. Bad boy, again, Craig. Era. Bad boy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I don't, I don't know, man. Evaluation purposes. Yes, you know, I, I, I totally do get that. Like, there's some software that you want to try out, and then there's no way to actually try it legitimately. And you're like, really, I have to pay fifteen hundred bucks just to to try this Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, also like the the cost of some software is very prohibitive for small businesses. Um, but also our our sense of what's expensive has changed. You know, I used to think of SolidWorks as really expensive and it is, you know, if you wanted to buy SolidWorks back in the day, it was like six or seven grand. Mm. Um, And now Fusion 360, like I pay 650 a year for that. And every time that bill comes up, I'm like, oof, you know, I wish they would do it per month because then I would feel a bit less, you know, but I do kind of wish I could buy it for like two grand or something yeah it's like when adobe did the whole creative cloud thing with you know yeah. photoshop illustrator and all those things and you just like oh, you, you almost got rent in the software off them yeah and i don't know this as 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 i get older that makes me a little bit more uneasy you know i'm a little bit more like oh i just i want this shit to keep working if like if i decide to be become a recluse and not have internet anymore you know, yeah. and, that... and not have to require the software update, which they're going to push out to you. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, even worse is, so um, with Photoshop in particular, there's a version that I didn't even know about called Photoshop Elements. And that yes. you can actually buy rather than rent, you know, so it's like 70 bucks and then you own it. Mm-hmm. But it still needs to check in. You have to have <laughs> like an Adobe account and it still wants to be online, you know. And that pisses me off, honestly. Like, I have an old version of um, CS6, uh, Photoshop CS6, yeah. which doesn't work on my MacBook now because the operating system's, like, updated, and now CS6 won't run. Yeah. But that I owned that. You know, I, I didn't have to think about it. It was just there. And, yeah, part of me wishes more stuff was like that. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's happened with software that I've had. Again, owned it. They've now gone to a different model of... Um, you know, a monthly purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, for maybe a year or two after, that old software will still work. But all of a sudden it doesn't. And now it says, oh, now you must purchase a, a, a monthly license. And so I'm like, I purchased this once. I don't particularly want these new features. Yeah, yeah. It's just the way things are going, yeah. Well, the really interesting thing is that there's some hardware that's like that now. Um, so I've been looking at this laser laser cutter called the Glowforge. I'm not sure if you've yes, seen that. Yes, I know it, yeah. Yeah, so it's really cool little machine. Um, so it's basically a, like a CO2 laser with a fairly small kind of cutting area. You can chuck it on a desk or something. And I have a bunch of uses where that would be really nice. The problem is that it, to control it, you have to be online. Like the, it only works with, um, with like a browser-based online software. Yeah. So, you know, if they have a problem with their server, you can't use it. If you have a problem with your internet, you can't use it. Like... That bugs the shit out of me. That's even worse than like software that you don't own, you know? Yeah. And imagine, you know, nobody's on a dial up anymore, obviously, but, you know, that, that's going to limit their user base because I think it's quite mm-hmm. easy for people to be there in their sort of the San Francisco office and they're, they're working for this startup and they've got beer on tap in the fridge and they have as many holidays as they want. So it's a very trendy place to work. 
but yeah, they imagine that everybody's got this, you know, eight gig connection when yeah. um, the majority of people really don't. Um, and yeah, and if if you're up against a deadline, you need something to happen and something to work, and it's oh, I can imagine just the worst, frustrating. Yeah, it's super archaic, but like for for CNC machines and 3D printers, I really like like USB sticks and SD cards. Yeah, you know, just copy the data on there, chuck it on the thing, press print. Like, I like that. I yeah. like the reliability. You know, as long as I've got power, it works. Yeah, I, yeah. I can see uh, for the listeners. I can see Aaron's got a, a big bunch of uh, CDs behind him. All his music. He listens to all his music on <laughs> CDs still. <laughs> he doesn't trust Spotify with anything. <laughs> I. It's kind of funny you say that because so I I um previously I used Google Play Music hmm. and. Google decided that Google Play Music should no longer exist in favor of YouTube Music, right? So everyone really? had to oh, migrate okay. over. Yeah, and so you know, I had I had all my collection in there. I've been on Google Play Music for like four years, um, and then it migrated me to Google Play, uh, sorry, YouTube Music, and all of a sudden, it whenever you're playing, listening to an album, each song it's playing you the video clip version of that song. Oh. Not the album version. So, you know, you get like the footsteps at the start with the person walking and then the door slams and then, you know, it, it was just stupid. Really, really stupid. You've been listening to a lot of Michael Jackson, haven't you? Exactly. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, like all of a sudden, and I, I couldn't make it stop. I couldn't make it stop. And then one day I went in and the, you know, so they, there's like the migration process between Google Play Music and YouTube Music. And... For some reason, that process happened again after I'd already moved over, except all my stuff had been taken out of Google Play Music. So all it did was delete my entire collection off YouTube. Oh, jeez. So, like, you know, they moved me over, which sucked, and then they just deleted everything. And so now I'm a Spotify, Spotify customer, you know? like Yeah. But, like, that was a service I paid for, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, that, I, that, that does bother me that, like, you know, we trust... Particularly with Autodesk and Fusion 360, you know, like, all of my designs are in there. You know, like, my most valuable kind of intellectual property is in there. And if they accidentally do some stupid shit like that, they could just brick my company. Yeah. You know. If they're bought out and they, yeah, there's, there's so much that can happen, yeah. Yeah, so that, that definitely does bother me. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting too. Like I know um, off Practical Machinist, there are a bunch of machinists that do firearms related work, and like part of the legislation around that is that they can't host that online anywhere. So they have oh, to have okay. like fully offline CAD, fully offline CAM, and that's actually like a challenge for them now. You know? Yeah. So Jeez, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. That. I yeah, it's showing my luddite side again right? <laughs> so how are things going with your your lathe have you stripped that down yet have you got it working have you it looks messed? way worse now than it did yeah when i bought it, <laughs> I it's, it would. yeah it's in many many pieces um <laughs> it's been fun actually i've been doing some work on it so like i don't know if i said this last week but it, it came out of a school you know so as you said like all the kids like run the everything into the chuck you know take chunks out of the the top slide yeah the compound yeah. slide so i actually did some cast iron welding for the first time ever which oh. was fun so uh preheated all of the the parts with a propane torch until they were good and hot and then um filled in all the chunks with my mig welder and then took them to the belt grinder and ground them down flush again now they look like nice. new yeah nice came out great hmm so what's what's next on the, what what's the next machine what what are you uh because you're always buying something new is, is it going to be do you think the the printer yeah the 3d printer yeah, the resin so. printer yeah i'm making myself wait a little bit just <laughs> just you know you're gonna I just, buy it anyway <laughs> i am it's, just, it's gonna happen yeah. it's but it's a matter of like which exact printer and you know just wait a little bit to make myself do some more work and you know, bring in some more cash flow and get some more shit done in the meantime. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I bought a, a machine this week. Um, oh, of course you did. Not a CNC machine, um, but it's it's um, a planar thicknesser. Oh. Um, so the house, the new house that we've got, we've ripped out the sort of oak flooring and this mm -hmm. stuff is ancient um, 
and like super 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 hard right um, and it you know i've i've it's just tons and tons of this stuff and i'm like well i could use these for knife handles because it's yeah, totally. you know, really hard oak and it's beautiful um but what i didn't want to do is process it all um so right. i've got this this plane of thicknesser and um i'm not sure if, if you've seen them there's they're like a desktop machine and um you, you can use it two ways so one is like a like a normal um you know a normal sort of electronic planer yeah, you run things across and make things flat, but it's also got the thicknesser as well. So once you've got one flat edge, you can put it on almost like a revolving belt, a conveyor belt, and it'll go through and it'll then plane the top, and you can adjust the size so you can get the exact thickness that you need. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether the terminology in Europe is different, but here we would call that a jointer for making the one flat surface on the bottom, and then a planer for doing the flat surface on the top. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably call it a jointer in a way. It, it can do that as well. But right. if you think of the top side, if you use up against a fence and you use the, the joining edge, mm. I suppose that would be the, the sort of the jointer functionality, I suppose. Right. You, can, you can go the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the non-joining edge. So, for example, if it were to be floors, you know, the top or the bottom, you can do it that way too. Oh, it does the side? It yeah, so it'll do the side um, against the fence, or you can just put it through. Oh, that's it's basically it, it it'll do all four. You know, set each each line would be separate. You wouldn't do two at once, but you oh, can do okay. all four sides to make sure you get things. I've got exactly no fucking idea of. what that is. Then, like over here, that I've never even seen something like that. Normally, you'd have a jointer which just does the bottom, and you'd have a planer which just does the top. I've never seen one that does the side. That's not like a, a router table or something. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're talking about the same machine, but all oh. you need to do is use that fence and put one of the flat edge against the fence, and then, you know, you've right. got a, a 90 on the other on the yeah. other angle. So all oh, it's a good idea, you. though, like to, to reprocess all those floorboards. That's smart. Yes, yes. But this thing is the noisiest machine I've ever yeah. heard in my life. It's yeah. ridiculous. So it works almost like, like a router when it goes, you know, super, super fast. Um but yeah, it's just noisy and it just sprays out dust. It's, ugh. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's only to be used outdoors, this one. Um, right. But yeah, it's going to help me process all this wood really quickly um, for for handles, which would be nice. Did you buy a metal detector? I didn't. I've heard that I should have. I know. Yeah, because those old boards are probably full of like bits of broken nails and stuff. Once yes. you chip a blade. That's it. Yeah, yeah. you're going to be sad. Yeah. No, we've been pretty careful. It's it's weird. We we've pulled up these floors, but I'd say maybe fifty percent of it is like perfect, you know, mm. and it's 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 just really, really nice wood. So yeah, it's gonna be a real shame not to use it. And um the, the fact that we've managed to pull it up, um and I'm pretty sure we've got all the nails up as we've done it. Right. I'm pretty sure we're gonna be good. <laughs> um so yeah, so that's gonna be a nice um you know, range of knives coming out soon, which is, cool. which is nice. Yeah, so my, my buddies Tim and Nick at uh, Frank Brothers Kitako, they um they have some, like, really nice old-school woodworking machinery. Mm. Um, big old jointer, and their planer is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. It's, it's probably three feet wide, um, wow. like three and a half feet deep and then the infeed and outfeed tables are on top of that like it's it's yeah. bigger um and the whole thing's cast iron they had to use a forklift to put it in place it's got to weigh like a couple of thousand pounds um and this thing howls when you start it up it sounds exactly like an air raid siren yeah <laughs> it's utterly terrifying um yeah woodworking machinery scares the shit out of me honestly which is crazy to think you know, fabricating metal has to be more dangerous, surely, than wood. Well, the rule of thumb is woodworkers get stuff cut off. Metal workers get stuff torn off. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like lathes, lathes can be really dangerous. You know, like if you're using a metalworking lathe and you're polishing by hand on it, um, which you have to be really careful about. Or if you've got long hair. Especially that long, that long hair of yours. Yeah, exactly. Um, or if you're wearing sleeves or gloves, don't, don't oh. do those things. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I've seen a couple of very nasty videos where, <laughs> like, I saw one video in particular where a guy gets his hand caught on a lathe while he's wearing a glove. Oh. Oh, it wraps his arm around and then it basically tears his arm off at the oh. elbow. It literally tears the elbow joint apart. 
and pulls his arm completely off. And then his arm is going around with the chuck while he's standing in front of the lathe oh watching his arm God. go around with the chuck. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. It, interesting enough, he actually got it reattached. What kind of websites do you go to to see this shit? <laughs> well, that was on Reddit. You know what, man? Every once in a while, you've got you've to like, re-expose yourself to the realities of what can happen when shit goes wrong. Uh, you know, yeah. and I have been in the unfortunate situation of seeing a pretty serious industrial accident firsthand. Um, I had to rescue a friend of mine after he took off most of his left hand with a oh, table geez. saw. Um, and yeah, it's not nice. It's it's really really not nice. You know, and you have to be you have to be careful. Yeah, super table careful. saws scare the hell out of me. As they should. The More than anything else in the shop, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah. It's either a table saw or the polishing machines, you know, with the... Um, mm, the buffers. The mop on it, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he was... So he was using an old cabinet maker's saw, which, um, yeah. you know, big cast iron, no thought to safety, you know. Um, and he was using it with no blade guard, no splitting... Uh, no splitter, no riving knife. Um, he was using a dado stack, which are oh, illegal geez. in Europe. Um, and he was cutting a blind dado by hand by lowering the bit of wood onto the blade. So he was doing some very inadvisable things. Um, and unfortunately, he paid for that in a very, very concrete sense. Um Oh, geez. But yeah, did he actually lose his hand? Uh, he lost four, most of four fingers, um, and part of yeah, most of four fingers, part of his thumb. They were able to rebuild his index finger and his thumb, so he has those functional. And then he's got three wigglers. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, it is very unfortunate. Like, obviously, he had a much worse time of that than I did because I was just a, a witness. But, yeah, even being a witness to something like that, I took, like, two or three days off work after that. I was just like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, Have you seen the, the saw stops with that sort of yes. sensing technology, they call it, and you see people putting the, the, the hot dog sausage up to the blade and it, yep. the brake comes They on. are amazing. They yes. are amazing. I think that like all table saws should be saw stops. Mm. I actually said that on YouTube on a saw stop video on a guy that was um, demonstrating his saw stop in his shop. And I had all these people jumping in being like, oh, you shouldn't want the government to regulate. And I was like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. assholes. Like, you <laughs> come back and talk to me after you've seen someone try to find their own fucking fingers, you know, like people. Yeah. yeah. The worst. Bastards. The worst. Yeah. Like, the saw stops are very they're, they're... cool. But they're pretty destructive. That break is pretty destructive on the blade, I think, isn't it? And it's... Oh, yeah, yeah. The blade's trash. The the yeah. break unit and the blade are trash. But, like, that's, like, 200 bucks. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the point, yeah. Yeah. Much cheaper than fingers. Yeah. <laughs> that's what she said. Yeah. Oh. Wrong, wrong podcast. Oh. Yeah. So have have you been unfortunate to have any bad? I I've been very fortunate. I haven't really had any bad accidents in the shop. Um, I've cut myself with knives. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, not in the shop, but just in my own kitchen with my own knives and other people's knives right. quite badly. But never actually a sort of an industrial accident. Um, have you come close? I've come close a few times, unfortunately. Um, so I've been witness to a few very close calls and had two close calls myself. One with a table saw. Um, yeah, one with another cabinet maker's saw that was in a shared shop that I was in. And again, like no safety equipment. Um, and I was cutting a square piece of like six millimeter, like quarter inch MDF. And the back of the saw blade caught the side of the um, piece of timber and i had like a kickback so the whole thing yeah. came back at me but during that process it nearly put my left hand because my hand was on the the bit of wood and i had quite a bit of clearance between my hand and the blade but it moved the whole thing through the blade yeah. Yeah. and so it nearly put my left hand through the blade um and then it chucked the bit of wood at me um and hit hit my left leg and then the wood bounced off me and embedded itself in the door behind me Oh jeez. Yeah, so I had a... And that's what's that's what scares me about table saws more than 
my fingers touching the blade. It's that kickback of throwing mm. something back at me. And again, with buffing wheels, it's that same. It, well, it's the same action of just picking something up and throwing it back over the top. Yeah, and it's super it's dangerous scary. with buffing wheels if you're working on knives because you're yeah. getting a knife chucked at you. <laughs> like yeah. that's not a good time. Yeah, it's generally the last thing you do as well. You, you're buffing it at the yeah. end, you know. So you've got your bevels, and, and you know it's this it's is, pointy. This is a dangerous weapon which could be thrown at you, sort of yeah, at a ridiculous speed. Yeah, and uh, so like I'll say you know i hadn't used a table saw a lot um you know it's quite possible i was doing something incorrectly but that saw was also monumentally unsafe and there are a lot of saws floating around there like that like if you had a a splitter which is like the little shark fin that goes up behind the blade then yeah. yeah then the wood couldn't have gone left into the rising teeth of the blade you know if it had um a splitter, it would have been the same thing. If it had a guard, then my hand couldn't have touched the, the blade. Um, and, you know, for the kickback, if you had the anti-kickback poles, which are like the little pointy teeth that kind of drop onto the wood, um, then you can't have kickback either. So, yeah, like if you just buy a table saw and then you leave it with all the safety gear on it, they're a lot safer. But, like, most woodworkers don't tend to use them like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I find that with a lot of sort of safety devices on machines, a lot of them are sort of bolt-on afterthoughts as well, and they they literally just get in the way, and they're mm-hmm. they're a real pain. But yeah, when you, yeah. you know you need them when they're there, and if they're not there to protect you at the time, it can be costly. Seriously, yeah. And then the other one I had was actually while changing the spindle on my CNC machine on Millie. Um, so yeah seriously so (laughs) the easiest way to replace the spindle is actually to do it with the power on and you move the machine so basically the spindle is like a cylindrical cartridge that drops out of the bottom of the spindle housing so in the z-axis so what you do is you put a bit of foam on your table you drop the machine all the way down loosen the bolts on the bottom of the spindle cartridge, take the bolts out, and then raise the machine up. And as you do, the spindle cartridge stays in place and just kind of falls out the bottom. Right. And the reason this is important is because the spindle cartridge weighs like 100 pounds. So it's not like it's super easy just to, you know, hold it with one hand while you're putting the bolts in. And then to put the new cartridge in, you do the reverse. So you have the, the Z-axis all the way up. You put the cartridge in place on the table and then you lower the axis very carefully down over the cartridge. Um, And basically, I had lowered it down in place and I was doing some work on the top end of the spindle, kind of getting it aligned and had my hand in a pinch point. And I didn't think about that. Um, And what happened was I had lowered the, um, the machine too much. It was pushing against the foam with a lot of force. And... That was fine for the first second, but then the um, the servo drives that are you know driving that axis have like an overload protection built into them, yeah. And it you know it overloaded after a couple of seconds and released the power on that axis, and so the all of the foam and the force actually pushed the axis back up by about an inch, while my hand was in a spot that would have gotten snipped off or squished a bit and luckily my reactions were very fast and i yanked my hand out but if i hadn't have done that then uh yeah he could have been calling me stumps so yeah like you know working on machines with the power on um, when you're doing maintenance is generally a bad idea and if you do it when it's on you have to be really careful about where your hands are so i've definitely been more careful since then um yeah safety do it yep definitely definitely um and even even down to you know um you know respirators eye protection those all those those kind of things you don't sort of think there's not an immediate accident that's waiting to happen there a lot of these eye protection especially well eye protection maybe but especially you know the respiratory stuff yes yes you don't you don't feel it you know You, you may be a bit wheezy the next day and think oh i should have put something on yesterday um, but it, it's gradual, you know, and if you're, if you're grinding something and breathing shit in and you're breathing enough shit in that you're feeling a bit wheezy the next day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't do that. Stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you're not doing that, Craig, but you know, as a public service announcement, like don't fucking do that. You, oh, yeah. that's going to end your life early. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, probably the funniest 
if we can say that, the funniest industrial accident <laughs> that I've been witness to. Um, we should get some chart music for this. And in at number 10. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Yakety sax or something. Um, so when I was working at a guitar company in Australia, the, you know, the, this is just one of those things where you're looking back on it, you're like, what the fuck? You know? So the, the head of the shop, his name was Klaus, and he was this serious German guy. And he did not have a complete finger on either hand, <laughs> which if that's the guy that's the head of your shop, like you need to be, you know, and he's the one like teaching the the new guys like me how to use the machinery. Oh, like that's, you know, in hindsight, I should have just been like, nah, I'm good. And I should have just fucking left, you know? Yeah. So this guy is teaching me how to use the jointer, you know, and they have a big jointer. This thing is probably eight feet long. Wow. Um, you know, and so for those that don't know, a jointer is um, basically a big flat table with a cylindrical cutting blade in the middle. And so when you feed a piece of wood over the top of that cutting blade, it cuts the bottom of the wood flat. So you yeah. can make like a flat plank. Um, Pretty much like the planer jointer we talked about earlier. Yeah, exactly. And much, yeah. they had what's called a mutton chop guard on theirs, which is, it looks like a, you know, a pork chop that kind of swivels out of the way. And if you're cutting a relatively narrow piece of wood, say, you know, the, the, their jointer was like a foot and a half wide and he was cutting, you know, jointing a piece that was only six inches wide. So that potentially leaves a lot of the blade exposed when that guard swings out of the way. Yeah. And he was leaning right over the machine wearing a loose T-shirt and the dust collection system was running and it pulled the edge of his flapping T-shirt toward the blade and it caught his T-shirt and he, he got slammed face down immediately over the blade onto the piece oh. of wood um and it sucked his whole t-shirt in like ripped the whole thing off his body just straight into the machine and somehow he was fine like no injury at all after that and he stood up and he turned around and looked at me and he still had both the sleeves of his t-shirt <laughs> on so he's bare chested with just the two sleeves left on so and he kind of stood there for a second and, he's going, and he just went, oh, at least it wasn't another finger. And then he went and got a new t-shirt and he went back to work. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Seriously, man. Like, if that happened to me, I'd be taking a week off. Oh, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd be, be reevaluating yeah. my life choices at that point. And this, it did not phase him at all. And that's the kind of person you have to really worry about, you know. <laughs> He just as, doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, as evidenced by the fact that he didn't have a complete finger. You know, like, the, you don't want people like that in your shop. You don't want people like that. And he had a spare t-shirt in the shop. He knew this was coming one day. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I, and I, yeah, as I said, much younger Aaron, I, I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know. Uh, I should have oh, been geez. like, later, boys. <laughs> I'm out of here, you know. Uh, I remember back in, well, in school, this is how long ago this was. Um, and we were in the, the, the science lab and the science lab had like, like power outlets on each mm -hmm. desk. Um, and they were up on this like wedge kind of thing. And, and for some reason we, we had, um, um, what they, you know, like little tongs, um, what are they called? Um, <laughs> what are they called? Little tweezers. Tweezers. Little tweezers yeah. for whatever we were doing. And there, there was a girl in the class and I still remember it, Jamie Summers. And she had this, like the longest, longest blonde hair, like. You know, really, really long, and she, we 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 all heard this this big. Poof, we looked around, and her hair is sticking up out of out of the you know <laughs> six foot up in the air, and we're like, "What the hell happened?" She said, "Well, the plug that was in, and in the in the UK we have these three pin plugs with the, the longer earth and then hmm. and the two lives, um, but the but the earth is longer, and the reason the earth is longer because the plug sockets have like covers on the live and neutral." Right. So unless the earth goes in, you can't put anything in. Right. But what that does mean, if you just pull out the plug just by just a little bit, the live and the neutral are exposed to something and going underneath. Yep. And she couldn't get the plug out. So for some reason, she had these metal tweezers in her hand and decided she'd try and wedge the plug out from underneath. Mm -hmm. So the plug came out just enough for these metal tweezers to, to hit a live. And um, I just remember that in school and just thinking... Jesus, some people, they just, no matter if there's any sort of health and safety thing there, sometimes you just, your mind just goes and you just need to get that little job done. That's all you're focused on. Yeah. And in this case, it was just take it, get that plug out the socket. That's all it is. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just remember the, the poof 
and the hair just standing up on edge and like the yep. tears and the <laughs> well and that's the thing that gets you right is it's always like um you know yeah as you said you've got a job to do and uh you know yeah the machine's running but i can see that little bit's hanging off i'll just grab it hmm. you know that's the thing that gets you you know that not having that respect for the machines so that's why i was saying like every once in a while i go and watch some like health and safety videos or like industrial accident videos and you come away a little <laughs> scarred but then you don't fuck with things and you know you're not yeah you're, you go that, to that's your excuse you sicko no you sicko. That's I, your excuse. I, trust me it makes me feel pretty queasy even honestly just even just talking about my my friend losing his fingers makes me feel a little like oh yeah. maybe i shouldn't go to the oh. shop today you know Oh, but like nice. yeah it's the reality you have to be really careful well that went dark i didn't expect the show to be so dark today yeah we started off quite chipper and quite yeah. happy and now we're talking about yeah well you know what you know what we all deal with dangerous things so let's just all be careful let's, yes we'll all have a good day we'll all be careful we'll be fine. yeah i yeah. think that's a good way to finish the show Everybody, please be careful. Stay safe. Yeah. <laughs> Stay safe. Have a good Speak week, everyone. Soon. Bye bye. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.